0: You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. Okay, well, it's a good day um, because it's the Lord's Day. Uh, It's a day where, um, as long as human history will be around um, and we're not with Jesus, the church will continue. To meet on the day of the resurrection, uh, and by their presence tell the world Jesus is risen. So I don't want you to lose sight of that. I try my best week in and week out to, so that you won't forget that. Um, Just pure attendance alone um, means something. And, of course, we know that if we don't re-up on that on a regular basis, be it a marriage or a church or a relationship or a job, that we will quickly fall into just routine. Not that there's anything wrong with routine. It's actually quite redemptive, routine is. But uh, it's good for you to know. So um, I hope that you're um, blessed by... Um, uh, what we're going to be moving through today and the fellowship that we have and um, as Leo said in the in the video commentary they're tasting the gospel today as you do as well uh, as hearing it so um, today our reading again I read it to you uh, is Ephesians chapter 1 verses three and four Andrew's already prayed a, a, a prayer of blessing over the reading of this word. I'll just read it to you one more time. Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verses 3 and four these are the words of God if you needed a title, um, for those of you who need titles, uh, you would entitle this sermon uh, Spiritual Blessings in the New Covenant. Spiritual Blessings in the New Covenant. If you're not a big fan of that title, uh, you could also use the alternate title, uh, The Doctrine of Election and Good Works, because that seems to be up front and personal um, there. Uh, the Doctrine of Election and Good Works or Spiritual Blessings in the New Covenant, um, and, and there's two simple points here. One is in verse one is in verse three, and one is in verse four. Uh, the point for verse three is simply this: for you note takers, we bless God because of the incredible blessing we have in Christ. We bless God because of the incredible blessing we have in Christ. We bless God because of the incredible blessing we have in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um, Now, when you and I ask people uh, in any given day or in any given context, including this one, or at work, or at home, uh, or on social media, uh, or on your telephone, how are you doing? You're going to get a garden variety of answers. Uh, to that question, how are you doing, right? Uh, It could be uh, any of the following. I'm pretty good, I'm tired, I'm sick, Uh, the kids are driving me crazy, I'm frustrated, Uh, work is hard, my parents are driving me crazy, and I'm pretty sure I'm getting sick, right? So any one of these things could be things that you say. you know, so there's, there's lots of different answers to that question, right? Um, my question with all of that, in, in terms of how you answer when people say, How are you? and How are you doing? is for us to genuinely think about where those answers come from. Even if they're not completely truthful. If they are completely truthful, that's one thing. But if someone asks us, if someone asks Paul how he's doing in verse three, the answer to this is blessed. How are you, Paul? I'm blessed. That's his answer. Uh, many of us have a hard time with this, right? Because it seems to be the, um, you know, evangelical soccer mom answer, you know, hashtag blessed, that's what I am, right? And there's, uh, and so there's, oh, we're we're not that way, but the truth is, um, is if we are answering, um, we we probably need to be thinking about those answers. Now, is there anything wrong with being human and giving real human answers? Uh, no. But I, I, I would contest that most of those answers are probably rooted in your feeling and your perception of the truth um, and... When you say how you're doing, of course, what you're what what you're doing is you're telling them sort of what's rumbling around in your heart in there. Does that make sense? So as you sing these songs, right? Uh, part of the goal of singing these songs is that your mouth and your heart will start to sort of align together. That's the point. Uh, it, it's a good spiritual exercise, right? And it's predicated from the often quoted principle, of the connection between heart and mind by Jesus, Matthew 12, 34, the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. So as you answer the question, how are you doing? Your heart says, my kids are driving me crazy. I'm frustrated, whatever it is. Then you have a frustrated heart. Right. So today, uh, if, if 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 Paul, if we inject verse three and, and just Paul's introduction of sort of what's going on, how are you doing, Paul? I am immeasurably, he answers, blessed. I am I am I'm loaded down with more grace and uh, more goodness than I can possibly communicate to you. And so let me try to get it all out. And that's what he does over the next um, many verses here. Uh, Of course, Paul is uh, answering here in verse 3 exactly, I think, how he wants you to answer that question. Um, Also, uh, he writes to the Romans, if if I can just add here. um, In Romans chapter 15, he, he wants them to be able to bless God and glorify God with their mouth and their life like he is here. And he says in Romans fifteen five, to that end, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When people think of our fellowship, they should not be think of uh, they should not be thinking of a togethering group of commiserating human beings. They should look at the church as a corporate group of people who know how to have faith in and love for and joy from Jesus Christ. Period. And so, our sort of reinforce our title right. We bless God because of the incredible blessing that we have in Christ, you and I are to do that uh, together today. It's my pastoral prayer that blessing and gratitude will be found in your heart and found in your life uh, because you know who you are and you know what you have. And here's the thing, if you're constantly answering the question, how are you doing? Uh, without any kind of redemptive representation in there, it's probably a referendum on your heart. Right? And my heart, right? It is a referendum and uh, sort of a a condition report uh, about how things are going. Some of us have spent the last week or the last month preaching the wrong thing to ourselves so long that it's oozing out of every single pore of our beings. Right, and so uh, Paul says, "Well, let me just tell you what you are and, and what I am." I remember giving a, 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 a counsel to a man not long ago. It's been it's been a few years ago. He was miserable. I mean, just absolutely miserable. Um, and we finally got down to the heart of what was going on, and I. Um, just, I just said, just kind of give me like your normal day, right? You come in from work from the time that you get home to the time that you go to sleep. Just kind of just give me a Monday to Friday, just pastorally trying to get there. And finally, we got to it. He and his wife were talking bad about people literally from the time he got home until the time he went to bed, five days a week. And they were an older couple, so they had been doing this for decades, So, Captain Obvious, right, pastoral Sherlock Holmes, how do we investigate and get down to the bottom of this one, right? Clearly, if the environment of your life is you're constantly complaining, if the culture of your marriage, right, and, and I remember telling telling him, him this, Look, man, uh, my wife and I aren't per- perfect, but we don't come home, and from the time that we see each other to the time we go to bed, we we, we don't. But we, 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 don't, we don't rehash all the negativity in our day. <laughs> we just don't do it. Like that, it it's, and it's not means that we don't have intimacy. It means we recognize what's, what's good and redemptive. Now, sure, we, 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 we talk about things where we should probably shouldn't, you know. Um, but certainly it's not the culture of our relationship, and it's definitely not the culture of our home. Let me just add here, while I am, and believe me when I say that I'm not I'm not chasing a rabbit trail here. I'm 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 getting at the beginning of Ephesians. I'm 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 looking at the heart of God and the heart of Paul and going, what what is what does all this mean? We cannot expect our children to live in Christian obedience when we live in households like the aforementioned. Does that make sense? Like that's not going to work. <laughs> like we. we we can't create saturation in our home of gossip and tell our kids that it's sin and then expect them to come out obedient. <laughs> That's not going to work. Do you know why? Because they're memes. That they're 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 little mini mes of us, and they pick up on all of what we do. Um. And, and here's the thing: maybe you're maybe you're caught in that. Maybe you're older. Maybe you're listening to the podcast. Whatever. Um, uh, It is never too late to change the culture. Um, Let's say you feel helpless because your spouse is addicted to negativity or addicted to gossip or any one of the aforementioned. What do you do? You live the Christian life that God has commanded you to do and you live by example. You're not the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, to, your, to, your, to your mate, right? Um, and, and, and you are to lead out uh, in your home, no matter your gender. Um, that's certainly true. And, 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 and your silence will be as contagious as um, the sinful fodder in the room. So uh, l- l- let me encourage you to hear Paul when he tells the Ephesians, as he tells you tongue-in-cheek, you are so radically... Blessed. And then for you to believe that, but to, to what we call appropriate that truth as actually real, really real. I, I know how I feel feelings, I know how I feel self, but I'm telling you, when it comes down to the reality of my life, I am inordinately blessed. I have so much to be grateful for. And now um, Paul starts to unpack all of that. I think personally here what Paul is doing throughout verses 3 and 4 is he is giving a people who are very familiar or at least have heard from earshot about the old covenant um, that they are a part of a new covenant and the covenant blessings there, right? So he says, blessed be God uh, because of every spiritual blessing that we've received. That is a twin, a theological twin of uh, the Abrahamic covenant. So the Abrahamic covenant is that you, you are blessed to be a blessing right? Israel, that's who you are. You're going to be blessed to be a blessing. And of course that blessed to be a blessing is that, uh, it's, it's kind of multi-layered one is Jesus, right? So Jesus is a child of, of Israel and therefore will be a blessing to all mankind. Moreover, God's law, secondarily, God's law, uh, is a blessing to Israel and Israel is therefore to be a blessing to everyone else around them and their ways. Um, and their country and their nation and their God is to be um a gift, a grace, um, and goodness to everyone uh that is around. Um of course blessing God, when I say blessing God, it just means telling God who he is, uh and 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 making much of him, telling him everything that he is. Um Requires that one realizes that you're blessed by God, and here's the thing: I, I do think that this comes down to spiritual awareness. I, I think it comes down to spiritual awareness and and uh, and, and gratitude. I, I'm not naturally a thankful person. I think probably none of us are. We have had the privilege of starting to raise two daughters, and Cindy started doing the most bizarre thing I thought at first when Ruby came home. And as soon as she would do anything for Ruby, um, she would look at her and say, before she could speak, and would say, thank you. Uh, And she just did that habitually. And now our kid habitually says, thank you. It just, it, it comes out natural. Now, is Ruby as unnaturally thankless as I am? Sure she is sure she is she bundle of sin right um just come over tomorrow we'll show you right um but at the same time because some of that sort of like we've sewn it in her she realizes hey uh, a culture of gratitude she's got some awareness that a culture of gratitude and blessing is a good thing i'll give you a great example uh last week She was, we're up in her room and she's putting on her shoes. She loves her sparkly shoes. And so she's putting on her sparkly shoes and she was doing it without her socks on. And all I did was go across the room and got her socks on, which are never matching and brought them back to her and said, here, honey, here are your socks uh, for your shoes. And she said, and I quote, daddy, thank you for thinking of me. Here's the thing, right? So. That is, that's, that's gratitude, right? But that gratitude has been modeled for her by mom, right? Now, is Ruby always grateful? No. (laughs) But, um, certainly there's some self-awareness there, um, and, and, and that's just very, very true, um there's so many blessings that you've been given blessings that come to mind that fall under the jurisdiction of what we're talking about here. Spiritual blessings come from the book that we just got out of second Peter chapter one, verse three, you've been given everything that you need for life and godliness, everything. So when we say that God has given you every spiritual blessing, we mean that you need for nothing spiritually. You may feel that you are lacking in need, but when you've been given the word of God and when you've been given the person of the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, he's not a ghost, he's not a force, he's a person, and you've been given that, you've been given everything that you need. Additionally, the scripture that Uh, comes to mind that is signed on the end of all of my emails. Romans chapter eight, verse 32 comes to mind. He who did not spare his own son, will he not also freely give us all things? Those all things are not physical. They are not financial. They are not even social. They are spiritual to get you through all the aforementioned, right? Uh, Those blessings are uh, spiritual blessings. Uh, which brings us to, to the principle here, the blessings that have been given in verse three are spiritual blessings, not material ones. And that is so important for you to understand because the original audience would have been, they would have, they would have been caught off guard by this because, uh, spiritual blessings to, to Judaism and material blessings are one and the same, you cannot separate them. If you look at a New Testament theology of land versus against an Old Testament theology of land, friends, real estate looks very different in those covenants. They do. Land means hardly anything to the New Covenant believer anymore because we seek a new city, amen? Right? But but to, to, the, to the Israelites, land was everything, right? And so when they say God is blessed with spiritual blessings, they would have immediately thought livestock, wealth. Uh, favor, victory over the enemy, new real estate, um, not only land, but land that produces for us, making us uh, you know, more wealthy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is the reason for people who um, don't properly know how to discern the Bible, uh, which Paul talks about in his letters to Timothy. They don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. They get into the prosperity gospel because they, they, they can't make the difference um, in it. So let's get it into this hard, hard thing here. What are the heavenly places? What does that mean? So you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. What's difficult about that is as we look at the text, we're asking and saying, but we're not in the heavenly places. We're right here on the earth. So what does that mean to me, right? Um, and this is what you need to know. You are not divorced from your spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Okay? You're not divorced from them. So let's find out what these words heavenly places means. First of all, Paul uses the, the, the term heavenly places four times in this book. He uses it. One in chapter 1, one in chapter 2, verse 6, chapter 3, verse 10, and then again uh, in chapter 6. So the heavenly places is a big deal, and this is what it means. It means two things. Number one, heavenly places means simply where God is. Okay, so your spiritual blessings are with God, wherever God is, right? Number two, they are in a realm where Jesus is Lord, and that's a spiritual realm, okay? That's a spiritual realm. So when God says to you, Fernanders, Nietos, uh, Atterbury's, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, what are we to do with that, you say? Uh, what it means is is that there are truths that are bigger than, more real than, uh, with great authority uh, in the heavenly places, and what these blessings do, right? Uh, the blessings that you've that you are a child of God, that you've been forgiven your uh, of your sin, they may be physically separated from you as you feel it, but they are not actually separated from you. And by giving it the vocabulary, guys, in heavenly places, the goal there is to show you the authority and the permanency with which those blessings are given to you, that it's not going to run away. So when we say heavenly places, the goal is to go, hey, it's settled in heaven. It's given to God, and in terms of what is really real, as we study in philosophy, uh, the most real thing in the world, if it has to come down between the earth and the and the heavenlies, it, it, it's going to be God's prime reality, right? Unfortunately, He made both, so it may feel like there's a separation, right? Um, my spiritual blessings are apart because the kingdom of God is not manifestly here; uh, it, it is already, but not yet. It is already, but not fully. Um, you you need to be encouraged by spiritual blessings. Also, please understand that when, um, yeah, you don't have the material blessings, uh, the land blessings that God promised Israel. You don't have that. That is not a part of the new covenant. Jesus was a homeless rabbi. You need to get your head around that. Um, That's that's the truth of where, uh, yeah, All all, all this came about. So Jesus never promised you that your life would be easy. He never promised ease or comfort to the Christian. Tell that to the first 400 years of church history in the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Take a good read of the English Reformation and and tell those people living during that time that ease and comfort are a part of biblical theology, and they'll call you crazy. Uh, It's just not there. It's very much an American dream, uh, having rubbed off its ideals on... Uh, the American lens as we read the Bible. So here's your spiritual, uh, here, here's your principle. Your spiritual blessings I've written in my notes here as I was preparing this week are not trapped here. They are not separate from you in a sense where you cannot access them. Um, every believer uh, has sort of that, that idea in, in the heavenly places that there is something more transcendent than he is right? And your blessings are there. I think that's, that's quite the point. Uh, if, if you wanted to do a devotional reading this week, I would encourage you to go to uh, Colossians chapter three and read verses one through four, very famous verses, and read them alongside verse three in Ephesians one, three. I think it's very, very hopeful. Tells Basically tells the Christian to put their focus on where God is um, and so they don't spend their whole life navel gazing at themselves. Does that make sense? Where it's just constantly self, self, self in the kingdom of self. And um, and here's the thing: God knows that 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 you have to take care of yourself. He's completely aware of that. He just wants you to see that it's the spiritual blessings that are going to get you through, right, and help you thrive spiritually as the human being that he's made you. So basically, this is it. God's written the manual on humanity, as I've said over and over and over again, right? And for human flourishing, and that is called the Bible. And in order to flourish as a human, you need to be endowed with a sense of blessing because you are radically gifted and graced by God, right? And um, if if you're going to preach the contrary to yourself, you need to realign yourself with the Bible, okay? Okay. Verse four, and the last point, unpacking the blessing. Verse four, unpacking the blessing, uh, which he tries to do here. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless uh, before him in love. And really, in love uh, could go at the end of this verse. It, it really belongs at the beginning of verse five. Um. And so I think it's very clear here that there's a doctrine of election, right? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So God chose you to be a, a Christian. So the doctrine of election is something that every believer is going to have to do something with. I know that there are friends here or within ear's reach of the podcast who don't believe in the doctrine of election. And, and let me encourage you just to read the Bible for yourself, right? Um, I'm not going to berate you with the doctrine of election. I'm just going to ask you to read the Bible. And I think when you do that, you're gonna clearly see that choice, God's choice is always supreme uh, over anybody else's. Even uh, the very beloved John Stott, who is the pastor emeritus at our church in England, uh, who himself, by the way, is not a Calvinist, said, and I quote, uh, sure, you freely chose God, but it was only because he chose you before the foundation of the world. And he's not even a Calvinist. He's not. What Stott is, is a Biblicist, right? Is a whole, uh, a sharp hold of the Bible, and so he can't, he can't deny that. Um, so he, here's the thing, though, friends. If you, if there's ever a sense of arrogance that comes in your heart with the doctrine of election, you've completely missed the boat completely. Um, Because the doctrine of election should actually steamroll us in humility. Does that make sense? It should absolutely just baffle us. Now, here's the thing. Commentator after commentator, reformed and unreformed that I've looked at, they all say the same thing. No matter their persuasion of the doctrine of election, they all say it's great mystery. Even the reformers who think they've got it worked out in their box, Right? they still say it's great mystery. It's great mystery. Um, and and uh, there, is, there is nothing wrong with God's thoughts being higher than our thoughts. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it's a good thing that God is transcendent. Fortunately, all your spiritual blessings are in authority there as well, and that's a good thing. Um, with the doctrine of election, what's happening here is that Paul is talking about the fact that they've been chosen in God, but that the covenant that they're a part of is nothing like the Mosaic. But even though it's nothing like the Mosaic covenant, and even though they're not actual children of Abraham, they still have been chosen by God. They've, they've still been elected. They've still been saved. They've still been adopted. Um, that's, that's just the truth. Um, so um, election is a blessing, is it not i mean uh, the, the the fact that God has adopted you into his family uh, and given you full family rights is uh, absolutely unbelievable. but notice here that the blessings don't just stop with the doctrine of election because not only has God chosen you but in addition to God choosing you, the text says that he's actually chosen you for the point of good works that the, the major story on predestination for you was that after he saved you and redeemed you, he redeemed you to be holy. We hear this over and over and over again, right? Um, those famous verses in Ephesians, chapter two, verses eight and nine, for by grace you have be been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then verse 10, right? Which is glorious, Um and it says, for we are his workmanship. By the way, Ephesians 2.10 could have been laid on the top of Ephesians 1.4. Uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with Again, before the foundation of the world, God shows you. And before the foundation of the world, God shows you for good works. But here's the thing. That's normally not our starting point. When we get up in the morning, we don't go, God's chosen me and called me to good works. That just doesn't happen. But here's the thing. It, my, the, the, the absence of good works and obedience being at the forefront of my mind is not proportionate to the amount of times that it's in scripture. Because over and over and over again, alongside the doctrine of election, it's also talked about talking about you being called to good works obedience from the Christian is preeminent. It's not as preeminent as Jesus is and his gospel, but it's preeminent. Um, And I I think the reason that we move away from it is because we don't want to be self-righteous, right? We don't want to be self-righteous. Maybe not. Uh, But here's the thing. Um, I certainly need the reality that there's a calling in my life on, on the forefront and that that calling is good works, right? I mean, on, on the forefront of my calling list is the fact that I'm called to be the head of my home. I'm called to father of my children well. I'm called by God to love my wife as I'm in covenant with her and I am called to teach God's word, right, in the office of elder. But alongside of that, um, maybe even higher over it, is the fact that God has called me to good works. He's called me to good works. He's called me to good works in the morning. He's called me to good works at night. He's called me to good works in any good situation. He's called me to look like Jesus. And those good works and the calling to good works changes my life. It changes the conversations that I have with people. It changes the reactions, both inside and outside, externally and internally, that I have to any given situation throughout my week. Right? And of course, if we are to... Have good works. Where in the world are we supposed to find them? And the answer is in God's word. So what have I got to do? If I'm going to live, if I'm going to live out a calling that's uh, that's committed to good works, then I, I'm going to have to try to find out where those good works are. And those good works are in the Bible for me, right? Second Timothy chapter one verse nine. Uh, the eighth grade is memorizing the entire book of Second Timothy this year. It's quite a daunting task. Um, in addition to all of our other material. And uh, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. They're just example after example after example after example before the foundation of the world, beforehand, Um in this case, before the ages began, and it all has to do with the fact that you are saved to good work. Now, here's the thing. Let me ask you a question. Is there anything wrong with duty? Some of you have been raised in Christian cultures where the word duty is a cuss word. Let me, if I can, um, just, just, will you just bear with me? Just bear with me, okay? The Gen X, which I am a part of, and the Millennial, which you are a part of, which, for some reason or another, woke up and decided that we could only work if we were passionate about something. Um, it's a real problem. First of all, it's devoid of any kind of theology of work, um, uh, <laughs> because we're just called to, you know, to provide. There, there's a duty there, right? There, there is a problem. Am I saying that you having passion for what you work about is a bad thing? No, no, I think it's great. I think great. Have passion. It's not your, your passion for your work is not the end all be all. Okay. You're called to be a provider. Um, and, and here's the thing. I, I hear this all the time. I, I, I was uh, up at a camp in North Carolina this week and we were talking to one of the interns there. And I was trying to give him some, he's 22 years old, um, which means he's 20 years younger than me, Cindy, which is a real life crisis. Um, and uh, he was talking about the fact that, you know, he doesn't need much money and et cetera, et cetera. And he's a great young Christian zealous guy. And, uh, he said, you know, I'm just not going to do anything that I'm not passionate about. I'm <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you have so much to learn, right? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's a nice thought, but here's the thing. There is the sense of duty, isn't there? And and, and you, you who are a little older, you, you, you know that. Or maybe wise beyond your years and you're younger, you know that. Is is there anything wrong with duty? Because when we think duty, we normally don't think zeal and passion, right? We just do it. Um, Well, what about in Christian good works? Do you have to have passion and zeal to to do good works? You just do them. Just do it. It's your duty to do good works. You are good and do good, teach me your ways. It's duty, right? So no. If you're wondering how I feel about duty, and you don't, <laughs> um, it's a good thing. Duty's a great thing. Um, and uh, I'm an idealist at heart, um, so um, it's been a long time coming, but uh, it is the truth. Um, okay, so let's look at uh, more verses here in our call to holiness. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27 so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that he might be holy and without blemish. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for God has called us not to impurity, but in holiness. Obviously, all this has to do with verse 4, at the last part of the verse where it says that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Okay? And this holy and blameless you're familiar with, the, the spot, um, uh, or spotless. We've talked about because Peter in Second Peter called his enemies. Um, he called them blots, right, uh, and blemishes on purpose, uh, and then called the church to be spotless, right, uh, without uh, without error uh, in their lives. You, you're you're not going to be perfect, but you are called to be obedient. And what's most important is that you that you understand your call um, includes a call of God loving you greatly. This is a question that I have for you. So just a personal, me and you, we're having coffee at Dunkin' Donuts because they have the great, greatest coffee ever uh, question, okay? And, uh, and I say to you, do you have a true sense in your life for Christian obedience? Do you have a sense that you have a calling there? And then you say yes or no. If no, why? And if not, how do we get there? is the question. Well, number one, we get there in prayer. Right? And I think we pray for a sense of spiritual self-awareness, that God, when he saved us, has not just called us and saved us, but part of the blessing that he's calling us to is living a life of obedience. Right? By the way, part of the manual on human flourishing is obedience. Right? If if God didn't want you to flourish as a human being and bring him glory, he wouldn't ask you to obey. because God only requires good things, right? Um, It's like we've taught our three-year-old, and this is echoed around our house dozens of times a day. Ruby, what does obedience bring? Joy, right? (laughs) Ruby, what does disobedience bring? Sadness. Yes, it does, It, it actually does. And believe me, we see that work out all the time in our home. And not only in her little life, but in our lives, as well, right? Um, so let me encourage you to um, lay hold, lay hold onto what God is, has given you, the calling that He's provide, provided. Let me encourage you to live in the reality of the blessings that God has given you, and to make sure that there are people that are in your life who can look at you and say, "Hey." Do you realize how cushy our lives are? Like, do you know? Right? Do you, do you know how cushy our lives are? Um, we, we, um, we're blessed. And here's the thing. You may not have a cushy life. You may have been dealt a really raw hand. And yet, God's promises to you are just as good. They're just as good. And you're calling uh, it is, is no less expected to good works and your blessings no less evident. All right, well, um, I'm looking forward to uh, tasting the gospel with you guys. I love the way Leo said that. Um, with you here, I'm gonna ask these two dudes right here if you will kindly service the Lord's table today and um, I'm gonna pray for us as these gentlemen prepare our table. Lord, we love you. What a good God you are. Thank you for your word. Um, Thank you that we have been called to live lives that bless you both in word and in deed. Um, God, I pray that you would give us zeal, but God, I pray that you'd also give us a sense of duty and, and, and calling as we rise to the occasion of Christian obedience every day of our life that you would help us to example well in our homes, Uh, In our workplaces, in our friendships, and in all of our relationships, the truth um, of uh, what you've done for us and how truly gifted and graced that we are by you. Uh, God, I pray that we would do well to preach to ourselves these truths and lay claim to your promises that we would forsake sin, obey your commands, and uh, echo the prayers. Um, that you have uh, laid out for here for us here uh, of Paul in verses 3 and 4. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. All right, you're free to take the words. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, com.